Thank you, Ms. Sherry. There's, that song has a lot of imagery in it, but it does speak of what we're looking at tonight in this next message on our series of heaven. And tonight, I'd like for us to look at the, the question. And, uh, and, and by the way, if you have questions, if you turn those in, no one's turned in any. So I'm going with my own questions that I have, but my questions may not be your questions. And so and just let you know if you have some you'd like to be considered, and I can put them in and, and be glad to, to see what I, can, what I can come up with. And there's a lot, of, a lot of things that I have thought that I believed about heaven that's been challenged as I look and see what the Bible says about heaven. And, and I think that's the way it ought to be. We let the, the Word of God be that which guides and challenges and teaches. And, and when we talk about heaven, there's a lot of things that we may never know and on this side of heaven, but there are some things that he would have for us to know, and that's what we want to look at. And it, and, but yet tonight I want us to look at the thought of, uh, will we be ourselves in heaven? Will we be ourselves or will we be something different, completely different than what we are? If I asked why you want to go to heaven, what would you say? People have different motivations and reasons. You might say you want to go there because you think it's a wonderful place to spend an eternity. And it would be, especially considering the alternative. Perhaps you want to go to heaven because of some loved ones who are already there and you want to be with them. Or maybe you want to go because Jesus is there. And that's the reason I want to go. We know it'll be something greater, far more satisfying, far more fulfilling than earth for the simple reason that nothing in heaven will be less than what God has provided here on earth. And although we rejoice in the idea of heaven, no one alive is actually qualified to talk about what heaven will be like in all of its glory. There are some who've spoken of having visited there and come back and then they write a book about it, make a lot of money off of it and but that's not really true, and you can't put your confidence in what somebody thinks or what somebody else may say. Even though there's much revealed by God, there is still much that is unrevealed regarding heaven. And all we have is a little sketch of what heaven will be like, truly. But I think it's helpful to take a glimpse of heaven as God has given it to us in His Word. Now, the last message, we looked at the matter of an intermediate state. And some have taught that there's an intermediate place where saved people go when they die. But instead of there being an intermediate location for those who die and in Christ, and I think that there's what is, should be recognized as an intermediate state, a place where our bodies are not yet joined up, but when a person takes their last breath here, their spirit is joined with the Lord immediately, and so shall they ever be with the Lord. But there will come a time in which the bodies will be resurrected and, and that uh, corruptible will be, will be put off into incorruptible. The Bible teaches that every believer who died before the ascension of Christ, before Christ went back to heaven, uh, was perhaps in a, in a place of Abraham's bosom. But when Jesus ascended, this 
I, I, I would be confident of is that he, he made it so that upon his ascension that each and every one who leaves this earth, leaves this life would, would be with the Lord immediately. And there's no intermediate state or location. It's just an intermediate state because what makes us the real us is not the body that we see. And that's why it, it is a great vanity to put greater emphasis or more emphasis upon that which satisfies our body versus that which feeds our soul. Believers no longer have to wait because paradise is no longer an intermediate place. It's, it's with God. And so tonight, again, what I want us to look at is, is um, what will we be like in heaven? Will we be ourselves? And for some, they take consolation in the thought that we will be ourselves in heaven. For some, they take consolation that they'll be themselves. And, and then if they think about it too long, they'll have great sadness when they think about others that they know who might be themselves in heaven. And that doesn't seem like a great deal. But, but what part of us will be the same? What part of us will be changed? I think in order for us to really understand this aspect, it's helpful that we are reminded of the resurrection. Because unless we grasp the resurrection... We won't believe, we won't comprehend the concept of continuing to be ourselves in heaven. But remember, we are physical beings. And it's not what we are primarily, but we are physical beings. If the eternal heaven is a disembodied state, and it's just a ethereal, a, a, an environment of just spirits, then our humanity will either be diminished or transcended and we will never again be ourselves after we die. However, I think the Bible gives us help in understanding it will be otherwise. In fact, in Job, if you want to turn in your Bibles to two verses to look at here initially, Job chapter number 19. And then Luke chapter 24. In Job 19, verse number 26. Let's go back to verse 25. In Job 19, verse 25, Job writes, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroyed this body, yet in my flesh I shall in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. See, Job is stating that in his flesh. He would see God, not just in his spirit. Now look over in Luke chapter number 24. Luke 24 and verse number 39. 
Jesus writes after he says to them in verse 38, why are ye troubled and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Verse 39, behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Handle me and see for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. So Jesus too, Job says, and Jesus too invited the disciples to handle his hands and his feet and actually touch him. Jesus had flesh and bones after his resurrection. And then the apostle Paul states that our glorified body will be like that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, while we don't know all the details about our future bodies, scripture I believe indicates that we will resemble the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. Go to Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians 3. Why are we turning to places when they can put it on the screen? Well, because of the series on Sunday night, looking at our, the wonderful Word of God and how valuable and precious it is, it does us well to participate in at least holding and handling the Bible and turning. And it's not that much work to turn. In fact, I feel like we could easily take for granted, which we should never take for granted, the Word of God. A lot of churches have gone strictly to putting the words of songs on the screen. And, and the reason they would do so, they would say, is to help people sing better. But over the decade or plus of trying to do that, what has been found unanimously across the board is that those churches sing no better because of the words being on the screen. In fact, they not only settled with the words on the screen and saw what that didn't help, then they dumbed down the words that they put on the screen in order to get the people to sing. You know what would help people to sing? Wilt thou, re wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people would rejoice in thee? Revival does wonders at helping people sing and get the song of the Lord within their hearts. And so the same is true with the Bible. We don't want to just give it to you. In our men's prayer meeting, I don't pass out a prayer sheet. We pass out a blank piece of paper and because we don't want to be their surrogate um, Bible readers, surrogate song singers, and surrogate prayer list makers. We want you to be able to do it yourself. If you're going to worship the Lord, you got to do so yourself in spirit and in truth. We can't do it in your stead. Jesus was our substitute. I can't be that for you. So I think it's a great exercise. And so Philippians chapter number three, you see that? That was just a commercial there, so that doesn't really count included in here. Hey, I want to say tonight, it's great to see Mrs. Weimer on the organ. And uh, wasn't that a great blessing? Yeah, it was a great blessing. And, uh, and then uh, Brother Dave Erton taking up the offering tonight. That was a great blessing. It's good. It's good to be able to see uh, people pitching in and, and serving, uh, helping out with the family. And uh, appreciate that so very much. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Notice what Paul says. For our conversation, that citizenship, is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. You see the emphasis there? Not changing our body into spirit, but changing our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. 
Now think about in heaven. We get to heaven. You think we're going to notice Jesus? Well, you say, well, we would because we're going to be perfect and we'll know all things. But do you think even if we were not perfect and we were able to step into heaven, do you think we'd be able to recognize him? There's only one that we know of that's going to be there with hand and feet pierced uh, and, and, and having a brow that was pierced and, and then other aspects. And, and yet, because he will have that body that will be recognized, Paul says we're going to be fashioned into a body like as the Lord Jesus, then we can understand this aspect that we will be ourselves in heaven. But we're going to be the sanctified self. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. We will have real bodies in heaven. Physical, transformed bodies like the body of the Lord Jesus when he was resurrected from the grave. Now after Jesus was resurrected, yet before his ascension, Jesus said... He said his body was real. We saw that in Luke 24 in verse 39. He invited the disciples to touch him. And when we get to heaven, we're not going to be disembodied spirits that float around forever. We're going to have real bodies, physical, transformed bodies like the body of Christ uh, when he was resurrected from the grave. Amy Carmichael, missionary years ago, said, Shall we know one another in heaven? We're told that we shall be like our Lord Jesus. And does he not know and love and remember? He would not be himself if he did not. And we should not be ourselves if we did not. So I want you to see a few things tonight in this context. First of all, will we still be unique? Will we be unique? You know, our genetic code and fingerprints, they're unique now. They're a help. And they get some in trouble. But just as our genetic code and fingerprints are unique now, I think we should expect the same of our new bodies. Individual identity is really an essential part of our personhood. And this is something that is being undermined in our society today. But God is the creator of individual identities and personalities. He makes no two snowflakes alike, much less two people that are alike. Even identical twins are not identical. Individuality preceded sin and the curse and was God's plan from the very beginning. Heaven's inhabitants rejoice over individuals who are converted. Did you know that? Over individuals. Take your Bible and go to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, verse 4, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over how many? One sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. 
See, heaven's multitudes rejoice over each and every person who repents. This is a powerful affirmation of heaven's view of each person and as a separate individual whose life is observed and cared for one at a time. You've heard it said, perhaps you've said it, that if you were the only person who ever lived, God would love you just the same. And Jesus Christ would fulfill the same plan in order that you might be redeemed and he would be able to regain what was lost because of the, the value that he places upon one. Remember when Moses and Elijah appeared out of heaven to stand with the Lord Jesus Christ on his uh, transfiguration known as the Mount of Transfiguration. The disciples of Jesus Christ, they recognized Elijah and Moses as distinct individuals here upon this earth thousands of years after they had died. And this indicates to me that we too do not lose our separate identities after death. You know, we will still sit at a banquet we're going to dine with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Did you know that? Matthew chapter 8. Let's look at it. Turn over to Matthew 8. Your fingers cramping yet? Good. Because we've got a thousand more to go. Matthew 8 and verse number 11. Jesus says, and I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. How are they going to know it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He said, we're going to be perfect. No, they're going to have name tags. That's what they're going to have. You know that. And they're going to. No, it's because there's going to be the, the, the maintaining of identities. This tells us we'll be sitting and eating beside and talking with them, not as a general assembly where we're all looking the same, but as individuals. But this also tells us that there's going to be food in heaven and we can eat. We say amen, but more on that subject later. Identity is determined by the body plus the mind, emotion, and will. So personality, it includes our mind, it includes our emotion, it includes our will. Also included are personality traits and spiritual gifts and natural abilities and passions and preferences and memory and interests. And these are all unique elements that go into making you, you. C.S. Lewis said, if he, God, had no use for all these differences... I do not see why he should have created more souls than just one. It's because God is interested in you. Imagine yourself at your very best. Imagine yourself when you'll have no, no conflict with your flesh, when you've yielded to the Spirit of God. In times you've sensed God really use you where there's no pride or arrogance, no selfish ambition, but just humility and surrender and submission to the Lord. And I think at that moment we get a small idea of what our new identity would be like in heaven. Be the same us, but it would be free of sin. That's hard to imagine because we wrestle and we battle so often with our flesh. But the truth is, is that there is um, a, an identity that will carry over in heaven. 
but you'll be unique. You'll, you'll still be the same unique you. And now that's not good news to people who struggle with their identity. But the reason people often struggle with their identity is because they struggle with God. And God is the creator. You don't like it, you take it up with him. You don't like it here, you're not going to like it there. But that's why he's got to take the sin out because it's sin that causes you to rebel. Romans chapter 1, that's the whole reason God gave up a people. Because they knew God, but they did not put God in his rightful place in their life. And as a result of that, they weren't thankful. And as a result of that, their foolish hearts were darkened. And as a result of that, God gave them up. And so God's not past the, the, the business of giving up people. But the reason that God gives up on people is because when you know him, to whatever degree you know him, you don't put him in his rightful place in your life. And so you, you want to escape the you that God made? I don't think that's going to happen. Now, it leads to another question, and that is, will Will we become like angels? What will angels be in heaven? What, what will the, 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 the concept in heaven be concerning this matter of the angels? Because some teach and you go to a funeral home and you're at funerals, you'll see built into poems and thoughts. Well, heaven gained another angel. Well, not from somebody who left this life, heaven didn't. Death is a relocation of the same person from one place to another. The place changes, but the people, they stay the same. The same person becomes absent from his or her body and present with the Lord if they're saved. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 8. The person who departs is the one who goes to be with the Lord. Angels are angels. Humans are humans. Angels are beings with their own histories, their own memories, their own identities. Angels have personal names such as Michael and Gabriel, but, but they're not humans. Under God's direction, angels serve humans on the earth. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 14. Let's turn there. Hebrews 1 and verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? See, Michael, the archangel, serves under God. Other angels in various positions serve under Michael. When we looked at Daniel a number of months ago, we saw in the book of Daniel how the, the ministry of angels was very significant to what was taking place in Daniel's own life and in the lives of his people. In Daniel chapter 10 and verse 13. Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 7. You're closer to there. Let's turn to Revelation 12. Revelation 12 and verse 7. And there was... War in heaven. 
Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Going back. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. In verse number 2, Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? See, in heaven, human beings will govern angels. The fact that angels have served us on earth will make meeting them in heaven particularly fascinating. Apparently, our guardian angels have been with us from childhood. I don't know what your guardian angel may look like. You have one or two or some, the way that you drive. You've got a, a host of them. And, and, uh, but look over at Matthew chapter number 18. I remember in Bible college days, Dr. Childs squashed the notion that my guardian angel looked like Cupid. And... Um, and so I had to get that image out of my mind. No Cupid is my guardian angel. No ball-headed baby in diapers going around with a bow and arrow. No, that's not the Bible version of the guardian angel. Look at Matthew 18, verse number 10. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. I believe that there are angels that are assigned and guarding and protecting. And uh, I think it will be interesting to find out in heaven how these angels have protected us here and intervened on our behalf. Angels also aid in spiritual matters and, and have strengthened us from time to time. Now, there's no biblical basis for contacting angels. There's no biblical basis that we're to ask for the help of the angels. In fact, James 1 and verse 5 says, you want to ask for wisdom and help? Ask God. Now, Scripture 2 warns us that angels can appear as beings and servants of righteousness and they can actually bring messages to us that appear from God, but they're not. So there's great danger in relying upon, I had this dream, and I had this dream of an angel, and I had, because they have the ability, Satan has the ability as a being of light to deceive and to manufacture an image. And, uh, but even though that danger is there, it does not preclude us from thanking God for the angels, their activity, and acknowledging their presence in our lives. But what role does an angel play when a believer dies? Now, I, I, I mentioned at the beginning, all we have are just glimpses. Glimpses of things talking about heaven. And so I'm just telling you here are things that, that I believe you don't believe it and you disagree with it. That's fine. But I, I do think when someone says and has said that angels um, took them or, or, or they've seen angels in approaching them as they're taking their last breath. I think it's more than sentiment. I believe there is a scriptural basis 
For in Luke 16 and verse 22, Jesus said that when the beggar Lazarus died, he was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. And I believe Jesus included this detail to assure us that God sends his angels to help usher believers into eternity. God sends a heavenly escort to lead us home. Now, why do angels carry believers to heaven? Remember, there's three heavens. This third heaven where Jesus lives, it's an incredible stretch of atmosphere from this earth. There's, there's never going to be a tower or a rocket that will be built to get there. If the believer's spirit is to return to God, then it must pass through this great expanse. And I think angels may help take us to heaven so we don't have to make the journey alone. God sends his heavenly escorts to lead us home. Now, here's another question. Will we have emotions in heaven? Will there be emotions in heaven? Well, I want to say God is an emotional being. God's emotions are described in Scripture. God's not going to have a change. He's not going to have a redeemed body and spirit. He's God. And if God is said to laugh, if God is said to enjoy, if God delights and God is happy and God is glad, if it says that God is angry, God is grieved, God is unhappy, God is jealous, I don't think that these are just anthropomorphisms. I think that these are actual emotions that are derived from God in whose image we are made. Since our emotions are affected by the fall and because we're sinful, our emotions are distorted from the way God made us and they are distortions of God's emotions. Therefore, when people sometimes have emotions, we, because of sin and self, we might have emotions about the wrong things that God would not have emotions about. In other words, we go through something and we think, this is unfair. Well, it's because you have a distorted view of God. God is just. God is holy. God's right. God's perfect. God's good. God's loving. Why don't we look at the way God looks at it? What is it that makes God actually weep? Our unbelief. Our not trusting Him. Our life that is lived in a way that calls God a liar. But emotions... God is a God of emotions. Therefore, we should expect that our emotions in heaven will be for our good and for God's glory. To be like God means to possess and respond with emotions. Even angels are said to react emotionally. Look at Revelation chapter 7 to see this one. Revelation 7. I'll keep you turning. It'll help you stay awake. Revelation chapter number 7. Notice in verse number 11. And all the angels stood around about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. 
See, emotions are part of our God-created humanity, humanity, not sinful baggage to be destroyed. Our emotions did not come into play because of man being fallen and sinful. No, God created us that way. In heaven, I think we can anticipate pure and accurately informed emotions guided by reality while our present emotions right now are skewed by sin. But one day they'll be delivered from sin when in heaven. But then what kind of emotions will we express in heaven? What kind of emotions? Well, let's go to Luke chapter number 6. Luke chapter 6 and verse 21. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto their prophets. He says, there may be weeping now, but later laughing. I don't think it's just in terms of the kingdom of God here upon earth, but I think that there will be intense emotions as well in heaven. I think in heaven we'll be free to feel intensely and not have anything to fear or no feelings to be afraid of. What about tears in heaven? Will there be any tears in heaven? Well, Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 4. Go back there. Remember the advertisement, let your fingers do the walking? Revelation 21. Someone says, that's why I like using it on my phone or iPad. I can just click it in. But one thing that you don't have on your phone or iPad is the sound of pages turning when you do so. I think there's something beautiful about that sound. Revelation 21 and verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Tears will be finally wiped away in the new heaven and in the new earth. There will be a great joy because of that which will be no more. There will be joy because of no more sin, and joy because of no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain. No more death. It's going to be a time where, where God will wipe away those tears. And, uh, and, and, and even God recognizes that there is. Well, even God, of course God. But God recognizes them. Help us recognize now. There is a time of mourning. There is a time of sorrow. But because of who he is, there should be a time of rejoicing. And allow him to, to dry those tears and and rejoice. No doubt there's going to be rejoicing as the tears of the oppressed, the cries of the poor, the widow, the orphan.
orphan, the unborn, the persecuted will be no more. These verses primarily are addressing not tears per se, but, but tears that come from an injustice, a wound. And, and God says, because that will be eliminated, the tears will be wiped away. Now, the other question in, in lieu of our identity is what about our desires? What kind of desires will we have? Our desires in heaven will be holy desires. Everything we will want will be good. When we enjoy good things, we will celebrate the God who made them possible. See, the spiritual body will be spirit-controlled, completely made over. That's what we're looking at in this experiencing God this year. And the emphasis is letting God who made you and saved you control you because he's good. He's good at it. And whatever he does, Romans 12 says, it's pleasing to him. It's pleasing to you. And in heaven, that spiritual body will be spirit controlled, completely made over, transformed, no longer governed by the appetites of the flesh. We will no longer have to battle our desires. For example, we will enjoy food without gluttony. Wouldn't that be a blessing? All the Reese's without any gluttony. We will express admiration and appreciation without sinful lust. Without any angle of, of self-pursuit. See, the natural body... Right now is soul controlled if, you left, if it's left to, to ourselves. But the spiritual body will be spirit controlled, completely made over, transformed, no longer governed by the appetites of the flesh. Now Christianity is unique in that Christianity teaches that desires are good. They're not evil. See the Buddhist concept of deliverance teaches that one day people will no longer have desires. Their desires will be eliminated. But Christianity teaches that Jesus takes away the sin while redeeming our desires. Desires are not bad. It helps to understand how these other religions are fixed because when you're, when you're going into nuances of Buddhism or, or nuances of, uh, of, of um, these mystical religions, you're going to dabble with things that may sound good, but you're dealing with things that are completely contrary to the nature of God. See, in heaven, we'll no longer have to battle wrong desires. All of our desires will be God-given and God-glorifying. No rules will be needed, for our hearts will be given to God entirely. Remember what David said in Psalm 37 and verse 4, Delight thyself. In the Lord, also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. See, when we delight in God, we abide in him, Sunday morning's message. Whatever we want will be ultimately what he wants. That's why Jesus says, abide in me, then you ask what you want. Because when we're abiding in him, like the branches to the vine, we're going to want what the vine wants. But in heaven, there's never going to be anything but abiding. 
There won't be anything but this redeemed, completely transformed. So what we should do will ultimately be identical to what we want to do. Here we're always trying to figure out what should we do. Here's what I want to do, but is that what I should do? In heaven, you can't divide the two. See, the Bible says that when we are transformed and our resurrection bodies come out of the grave. That's what Miss Sherry was singing about. She was talking, singing about as an eagle going up. And the Bible says we're going to be completely resurrected. When our bodies are resurrected, we'll be transformed. We're going to be totally, completely controlled by the Holy Spirit. This means we will do only the things that please the Lord. Our physical appetites are going to be marginalized by the appetite that we have for the Lord and for His glory. It's just hard to fathom, but, but trying to put it in words is the best that I can do. Let me, let me uh, go into one other question here. Will we maintain our own identities? Going back to where we started. Think about this. If you are not you in heaven, then who else would you be? I mean, really, if you're not who you are in heaven, who else might you be? The resurrected Jesus retained his identity after the resurrection. We saw that at the beginning, Luke 40, 24, verse 39, Jesus said, it is I myself. In John's gospel, Jesus dealt with Mary, dealt with Thomas, and dealt with Peter personally. And he drew, I'm not going to look at these verses, but he drew on previous knowledge of him. So he dealt with them based upon his interactions with, with them prior to his death. And that's John chapter 10, if you want to write it down. John 10, verses 10 through 18. John 24, verse 29. Oh, excuse me, John 10... Scratch that. You have a pencil? Erase that. John 10, verse 10 through 18. John 10, verse 24 through 29. And then John 21, verse 15 through 22. So in other words, what, what I'm pointing out there is that Jesus was dealing with Mary, with Thomas and Peter, based upon previous knowledge prior to his death, burial, and resurrection. His knowledge and his relationships from his pre-resurrected pre state had carried over. When Thomas said, my Lord and my God, he, he knew he was speaking to the same Jesus that he had followed. When John said, it is the Lord, he meant it's really the same Lord. It's the same one that we've known. See, if we're not ourselves in heaven then we couldn't be held accountable for what we did in this life. If you're going to be somebody different, then you can't be held responsible for the decisions that you made here because wouldn't that be somebody different? And there will be no schizophrenia in heaven. Just here. Just in Baptist churches. <laughs> this would make the judgment seat of Christ meaningless. If we didn't have the same identity in heaven. If William Edward Ingram Jr. is not William Edward Ingram Jr. In that's me by the way. Um, if 
that's not who I am in heaven, then how would I be rewarded for anything that I might have done here? See, the doctrines of judgment and eternal rewards, it depends upon people retaining their original identities. Now, Buddhism teaches that the ultimate is being reincarnated in an improved life form, the self with which we have been endowed by our Creator, however, to us is His gift of life to us. That is a gift, and we don't need to look for another identity. He gave that to us. And so ultimately, life is, is this matter of trusting God's sovereignty, that he knew what he was doing, no matter how accidental or how interrupted or how unwanted our beginning might have seen on the human side of things. And God to God, we are very, very precious. Our identity matters to God. See, our self-worth was secured forever in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Our eternal home was guaranteed by Jesus Christ's victory over death in his resurrection. To imagine that we will lose our personal identities, that's also a Hindu belief. It's not a Christian idea. So don't let your theology come more from movies and, and cartoons and books and, and funeral home slogans. Let it come from the mindset of God and, and, and what, what we do have in the glimpses of Jesus whom our bodies will be transformed as to and see how, how that happened and what took place there. We will participate in God's holiness yet we'll fully retain our God-crafted individuality and identity. Our own personal history and identity will endure. Isaiah 66 and verse 22, Isaiah records God's words. Let's turn over to Isaiah. We've been looking at a lot of New Testament. We did look at Job, but let's look at this one. You there? Isaiah in chapter number 66. Last chapter. Let's look at verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before you, saith the Lord. Now look at this so shall your seed and your name remain. Jesus also said to his disciples in Matthew 26 and verse 29, I'll not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Talking about the fact that it will still be with you. The same Jesus will drink the same wine with the same disciples is what he's telling them. In heaven, we will be called by our present names, I believe. The names of God's children are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 20 and verse 15 and, and um, 21 and verse 27. You know that God recognized 
as valid the names Adam gave even to the animals? In other words, your identity will be carried over. Even That's why names are significant in the Bible. Because they meant something. That's why it should be significant when you're naming a child. Dr. Hardy, Wayne Hardy, who was just here recently, his dad, Dave Hardy, challenged us. Make sure you're careful about your names of your children so that they have something to live up to. Today, people pick names just you know, as their favorite TV show. Depending upon the era in which somebody lived, you listen to their names of their kids, you know which TV show they watched or street they drove down. You know, with just many different ideas that people have. You know, I, I think uh, names mean something to God. He holds on to those. He calls people in heaven by their names. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The names of the 12 sons of Israel and of the apostles are written on the city's gates and the foundations of its walls, Revelation chapter 21. So to have the same name written in heaven that we uh, have here on earth reflects the continuity between this life and the next. In addition to our earthly names, I believe there may be some New names in heaven. Isaiah 62 and verse number 2. Isaiah 65, verse number 15. Revelation 1 and verse 17. Revelation 3 and verse 12. Now, new names do not invalidate the old ones. There were many times in the Bible where someone's name was elaborated upon. Jacob became Israel. Simon became Peter. Saul became Paul. But we will all be like Jesus in character, but we're going to remain very different in our personality and identity. And this distinctiveness, listen, it's God's idea. It was God's creation. It was not Satan's whenever man fell. So what makes us unique, it will survive. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Just a little bit of a glimpse this evening on heaven. Let's stand together.